the Born to Be Mild podcast. Okay, thank you very much, Ryan Little, for our theme music, as always. Don't forget to check him out on SoundCloud. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on the iTunes. You know the deal. That is how we grow the show, so make it happen. Today's show is brought to you by Hardy Mums, the Midwest's favorite plant in a bucket year after year. Hardy Mums tell your friends and neighbors that no matter how much the nights get longer and the cold gets more impending, you are still going to cheer up your front porch with some little yellow afro bushes. They are available at your local True Value. Hardy Mums. Okay, business is out of the way. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another installment of Born to be Mild. I, uh, I'm recording this on September 20th, and this is episode number 36. There is plenty to go over in this week's news, but first let me tell you about our two guests today. The first is someone who is very familiar to all of you, and especially me, my wife, Brittany Cabuno. Uh, we're going to have a little fun talk about our journey together through the wild, wonderful world of parenting. So that's going to be pretty fun. Stay tuned for that. And uh, after that, I talked to my great, great friend, Mr. Luke Beard. He is also a hoops aficionado and Laker lover. So we talk a little bit about the bubble playoffs and how that's gone and how he sees them playing out. Um, But first, we're going to do a few words on the news. So almost everything that happened this week was either overshadowed or magnified by the passing of 87-year-old Ruth Bader Ginsburg on Friday after a long battle with cancer. Over the past couple years, she turned countless godless heathens like yours truly on the left into devoutly praying individuals every time word hit that she had been admitted to the hospital for any of a number of different reasons, from fevers to cleaning out a bile duct to gall- gallbladder treatment and you know everything in between. And so many of the hopes for on the left for millions of Americans, you know, naive enough to believe in progressive values and equal justice under the law, were kind of pinned to the survival of this tiny little bespectacled and enrobed Ginsburg. And you know damn well she was trying her hardest to make it till the election, but it was not to be. And, uh, you know, go figure. Her death brings out the worst in the Trump party. So you got Slowpoke Turtle Man, Mitch McConnell, was pretty damn quick in getting a uh, flash from the past and being able to forget that he hijacked Merrick Garland's nomination in, like, March of Obama's final year when he was replacing Antonin Scalia. And, um... He said that he'll be getting on Ginsburg, Ginsburg's nomination and replacement ASAP. So that's really cool. Very expected. I mean, what's more reassuring right now and grounding than being able to fall back on the notion that the Republicans in this Congress are like the slimiest, most craven and power-hungry leeches that, you know, our government has probably ever spawned. I think they were saying right now Trump's 
um, administration is kind of tied with Harding as being, you know, bottom three of all time. And it really, it helps me rest easy uh, at night knowing that people like five-time South Carolina ass-kissing champion Lindsey Graham would go against the words from his own mouth as recently as 2018, where he explicitly and on the record stated there would be no vote on a judicial replacement in the final year of Trump's presidency, especially if the primary season was already underway. So I guess the fact that the primaries are over and we're only a few week, uh, you know, a few weeks away from the actual goddamn election, that counts as some sort of double negative and absolves him of the pledge that he made, you know, just two short years ago. Okay. You know, what's also very certain is that there will be a different response on both sides uh, of this election if the opposition wins. So if you haven't been able to tell by now, uh, there's a party of chaos in our country, and it's a party of war, and it's a party of fighting. Uh, They're the ones who want to dig up, you know, especially in light of recent events, old Supreme Court cases that were settled decades ago and try to relitigate the fight from different angles. They're the ones who are constantly feeling aggrieved, even though they seem to always be holding the positions of power. You know, if Joe Biden wins, which in some ways would be beneficial for Trumpism, they get to be the party of opposition again, and they will only have more reason to fight and fight all day long like they love to do. But if Trump wins, you know, the people who coalesce behind Joe Biden to vote for him will feel so disheartened that American carnage was on the ballot and won it will leave them with American despair. It will leave them with American depression. And uh, they will essentially wonder how, you know, the country and the ideals that they thought the country stood for slipped away from them essentially so quickly within a matter of five years, it seems. So it was like, it's one thing for this megalomaniacal embodiment of America's bravado and id to interact and pull the inside straight with an upset against a very flawed candidate in 2016, but it would be completely another thing after four years of showing us just how despicable and hateful and dismissive of others he can be for Trump to have possibly gained even more followers and cemented his mode of thinking as emblematic of America's identity as a whole. So, like, I'm not saying that, you know, many of the people on the left and in the center won't continue to fight, but they will be far more disheartened with a Biden defeat than the Trumpers would be if Donald loses the election. Because, you know, after all, like, one side is beyond self-righteous and headstrong. And they are holier-than-thou personified. And the other side, you know, it comprises many more walks of life. And is constantly asking itself, uh, are we doing the right thing? Are we moving in the right direction? And so a defeat for them will have them questioning their reality to the nth degree. They'll be questioning their approach, and they will be questioning their standing in society to like an outsized 
you know, degree. This presidency has been insane and destructive in so many ways, it's hard to quantify. On Tuesday, the editorial board of the magazine Scientific American, casting aside, you know, their own norms and practices in the face of accelerating evidence of the consequences of neglecting climate change, endorsed a presidential candidate for the first time in their 175-year history. You'll be shocked to hear that it wasn't the guy promising to bring back all the coal jobs. Uh, This week, a project called VDEM, or Varieties of Democracy, which is an effort to precisely quantify global democracy at the country level based on hundreds of indicators assessed annually by thousands of individual experts, released its findings that the U.S. is currently experiencing, quote, extreme autocrization, to which I say, yeah, no shit. But the scarier fact is that according to this data, only one in five nations are able to overcome a shift in power of this magnitude. So let that sink in. There is a one in five chance that America will be able to fight this evil off. Um, Just more liberal overreaction, you say? All right, so the CDC has already had to backpedal on comments. They said Trump's HHS put into their COVID testing guidelines as a blatant attempt to stifle numbers of positive tests recording. That happened just like a week after they initially put it out. Um, Look no further than another rancid news nugget this week from the Orange Fuhrer. Check this one out. Uh, He unveiled a grant for institutions that adopt what he calls a more pro-American curriculum. Which is exactly what you think it is. More exceptionalism tales and glossing over the messy reality that this nation often falls short in living up to the ideals uh, it puts out for its, quote, marketing materials. So, let's talk about the horrors of slavery, the displacement of exter- and extermination of native peoples, and uh, the continuation of institutionalized racism in the South under Jim Crow until the end of the Civil Rights era, and bad flossing practices uh, that stretch back centuries. But, you know, no mustard stain on the necktie of America is too small to be blatantly lied about and covered up. Quote the president, Patriotic moms and dads are going to demand it, he said of the teachings. Now, this is the same week his attorney general and man-sized mogwai, William Barr, announced he'll be putting forth legislation that would allow for more types of protesting to be charged with sedition. Cool. Even the king of the podcasts, Dan Carlin, came out of the woodwork this week. He still puts out his brilliant long-term... Pod, or the long-form podcast that he has, Hardcore History, once or twice a year, but he stopped coming out with the episodes of his Common Sense podcast in recent years because he simply sees nothing, even with his vast knowledge and past precedents, that he could add to public discourse that would ever change anybody's mind, essentially. But he put out an episode last week that basically said he's frightened of the American people. Like, who are increasingly accepting of simplified, dumbed-down, vindictive, 
uncompromising rhetoric coming from their leader. And it scares them that our democracy will not be able to survive if a movement like Trumpism is permitted to persist. So, I mean, it's coming from all angles. Like, this man is unhealthy for the country and for the world in so many fucking ways. It's ridiculous. But, like, to be clear, a Trump loss would merely signify the possible beginning of the end of that amoral brand of thinking. Like, escaping Trumpism is essentially going to have to look like America did when it was, like, shaking off the cocaine-fueled 80s. Like, collectively, a lot of people are simply going to have to turn to each other and go, all right, that's enough. It was fun, but we can't go on like this. We are running too hot. Um, it's not going to last. It's going to end badly. <laughs> beautiful wife who made her sleep on the couch while I procrastinated all day and she never sounds excited to be on the podcast because I always make her record after the midnight hour and she gets up early with our child and allows me to sleep in on the weekends and mostly on all weekdays too. Right, for sure. And so you're sitting here basically in the back room with sleepy marks on your face and I'm just pulling you up and being like, alright, give me ten good minutes on parenting. Yeah, so here we are. Right, right. Um, but that is what I wanted to talk to you about because we've been on this journey together for 18 months. Yes. Right? And um, it's been a roller coaster, but it's been everything that everyone ever told you it would be, and then everything you never thought it would be, and everything, everything. <laughs> right? Everything is everything, Lauren Hill. <laughs> <laughs> so is it, has it been harder or easier than you thought? Both. Okay. Yeah, some things have been like way harder and other things have been way easier. Uh, growing up with kids my whole life, like I've been an aunt since I was yeah. 13. So you, You've been in the line of fire for a long time. Mm-hmm. You understand what it means to catch the ire of uh, <laughs> the little ones. Yeah. Deal with all their shit. I'll say the most surprising and difficult thing is when you're like exhausted at the end of your rope and then your kid poops in the tub. Right, right. That is a lot harder than same. I thought it would be. <laughs> yep. And that's the uh, female equivalent of just getting booted right in the junk. <laughs> and yeah. after a long day of getting caught in the rain and yada yada. Yeah. Yep. That is the mm-hmm. topper. And, you know, just to hear the dismay in your voice when this, that something like that happens, you know that you're sitting at the, at the business end of like 10 or 12 different things that she's done compounds itself over the course of several hours and and or you know an entire day yeah you know if she's having a whopper and then it's just like oh, it each one hits harder than the last well she conditioned <laughs> us pretty good in the beginning i mean her first like shower she showered and we brought her out of the shower and then she peed all over the place <laughs> and she immediately had her second shower in the same 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, right back through the wash. Yeah, and she threw up all over me for like the first three months. I was on maternity leave just to 
have to change my shirt every couple hours if I was lucky a couple hours you guys were both going through clothing items left and right <laughs> her and her little swaddles and bibs just tons oh yeah yeah I remember she got you really good first both with the pee and the vomit and then she got me all over my arm and into the couch yeah and you didn't realize it was room temperature yep it was like when uh, you get drooled on, you know, like there's a pool of drool, but then like a mighty wind hits it and you're like, what? And it's just like everywhere and you had no idea. Yeah. That was like the vomit situation. It was everywhere. And you're just like, no. Oh yeah. Oh no. <laughs> it was no, she didn't do it. And then, oh no, she did it. <laughs> so I was just thinking earlier today, like, has it been... Is her care more demanding or less demanding now than when she was an infant? More demanding now because she is more interactive and she cannot really tell you what she wants, but can tell you what she doesn't want. Oh yeah, very easily. So that makes it harder. Um, If she would just learn the crucial component of the word yeah and not just know the word no... This this whole thing would be 50% easier. I don't think that would take away from the tantrums, though. No, but her yes is tentative sometimes because she doesn't have a word for it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but her no is definitive because she is fully aware of what that sound means. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> Did you do? No. yeah she was telling us that early on right that was the first thing she would let you know that wasn't happening was poop in her pants yep we got a check in before we could even open the back of her little pants she go no (laughs) and she was right on pretty much every time Uh uh-huh yeah surprisingly smart but you know i was just thinking that because like when they're uh really tiny they require it's more severe care like because they can do absolutely nothing for themselves and they're even more abstract about when they cry and their mood you know so it's like it's a different kind of care at that stage yeah but they also are like sleeping a lot and you can yeah they're little beans you could just put them wherever <laughs> <laughs> well they sleep a lot you can sleep too and once you're comfortable, I think that's the issue. You, We weren't comfortable. Oh, and me specifically, because I have, like, no baby experience prior to ours. And, um, uh, yeah, so that was definitely ten times more of a learning curve for me than, than for you. So I guess maybe that's why I feel like it was, you know, almost as taxing as she is now. Even though right now she is just a terror amazing amazing like in a, a splendid terror but just a whirlwind of preoccupation and clinginess and demandingness and let me put it like this non-verbalness if she fell off the bed right now we would say we told you not to screw around up here and then we say are you okay and we would hug her and kiss her but if she fell off the bed just say six months four ago. months six- okay four months or more ago yeah it's a definite trip to the er because holy crap we don't know yeah now it's 
oh, you're resilient and we've seen you bounce off of things before. I think so. that is. I'd have to, we need to look up when those um, bones start to really solidify <laughs> in the skull because that might have a lot to do with the fact that they'll have, you know, some advanced resiliency to those kind of falls. And <laughs> They're made of rubber. She seems good to go a lot. Like I said the other day, I am so fearful that she's just going to turn right around into something and just smash her face. Because she does a lot of that looking backwards while she's walking forwards. <laughs> oh yeah, she's walked into like a door frame or two. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <clears throat> Would you say that parenting for you, um, solo, was like a hard shove into serious once I went back to work? Yeah, yeah, I can definitely say that. Because in terms of accountability, like there are singular moments that could even compare to that, you know, in the history of a lifetime. You and your child together and make sure nothing happens, make sure this person lives its fruition, make sure everything (laughs) is taken care of, and um, yeah, never like anything has like been thrust upon me like that before so amazingly grounding moments and um it's something that you know over time i just start to be like oh yeah i am honored to have the privilege of not um completely frightened by the magnitude of you know yeah yeah so and I'm just over here like I'd love to be home alone (laughs) (laughs) like without you or our baby hell yeah you're like both of you get the hell out of here why do you have to be so dependent to the home structure and uh, (laughs) I want to be up in my own place like can y'all go camping or something yeah (laughs) right that's one thing I miss I miss uh being home alone for any period of time longer than two hours. Because um, I will say I've not been alone for more than two hours since... I want to say since I was pregnant, probably. <laughs> and so it's been, like, way longer. Like, uh, you've been it a parent. Is not, it is you've not. been an active parent for 18 months. Yeah. And I've been an active parent... For 27 months or so. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's where uh, I'm like, well, I've been doing this longer. <laughs> well, it shows, you know, you make it look easy sometimes. I'm pretty jealous. No, you're just not looking close enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably like crying in the corner in the bathroom, just. Yeah, no, but I mean the Wishing way Wishing I was you, being able to be in the bathroom The way so that long. she gravitates towards you It's just like, you know, a kid to her mom It's like, it's crazy There's nothing that compares to that It's, it's lovely It's really the coolest thing Yeah Sometimes I'm like, please get away from me And I palm her face But most, <laughs> <laughs> most of the time I'm like Okay, I come here, I love you too Of course, of course <laughs> Like receiving the love from her Is the, the most fantastic thing in the world, right? Right, and she's selective too <laughs> Like, you know, she's a happy kid 
but she's selective on um, the outpouring of any type of affection. You know, <laughs> and that's what makes it uh, very deliberate when it happens. Mm-hmm. You feel very special, right? Yeah. And I like that she's not all willy nilly. Uh huh. I'm like, yeah, that's right. You don't want to see those strangers. Although she did try to kiss the cashier at the grocery store goodbye the other day. <laughs> <laughs> that's so great. Very friendly. <laughs> Very friendly. Always very friendly. She's like, I can tell you're kind. (laughs) Thanks, girl. I'm going to eat all this food when I get home. (laughs) Because she never stops eating. She is. She's amazing. She's going to be a hell of a teenager and anything like that. Because she's just going to put it down. Oh, yeah. I feel like she'll be cooking meals before you cook your first whole meal. (laughs) Yep. She'll beat me to that by a long shot. Yeah. (laughs) Speaking of, we got to get her the Fisher-Price kitchen or whatever. Bring that shit inside. Yeah, but we have to get all the food items and pots and the pans. The replacement vegetables and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. All right, we'll get right on that. All right, good talk. This was fun uh, little look into the parenting. I mean, we'll be back. We'll have more to talk about in the future. Yeah. We'll <laughs> talk about what's the hardest thing for you to do next time. There we go. Stay tuned. Thanks for having me back. and waking me up off the couch for this (laughs) you're welcome now go to bed bye Alright, for the third segment of the week I am more than pleased to have my homeboy and brother from another mother Mr. Luke Beard, up on the podcast. Mr. Luke, how are you? Well, thanks. Appreciate it. Dude, no problem. It has been a long time coming. I just wanted to find the right reason to have you on here. But, like, you know, there's nothing more important than NBA right now in in your world, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. I've been watching pretty much every... I've either listened to to him on SiriusXM or watched every game. So... So what's it like to have like true greatness finally on the Lakers? Well, as a lifelong <laughs> Laker fan, this is something I'm used to. When I well, was a now kid, that you I actually to, have yeah. someone like a real, like a real king on the court, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we have a really balanced team this year, um, and it's exciting to watch in different ways. Actually, you know, actually, you know, obviously, Bron, the Akron Hammer, and AD. Um, also, you know, KCP's really stepped up well. Alex Caruso has been doing an excellent job off the bench. Oh, for Dan- sure. Yeah, Danny Green's been sinking. Even on. Dwight Howard, man. Yeah, for real. The way he was taunting the Joker the other day. He has but, definitely rejuvenated his career, I think. Yeah, and also playoff Rondo. You know, everybody, well, basketball fans are very aware that it's, Rondo's will probably be a coach, but he's like a basketball savant. Hell yeah, yeah. and a serial groin puncher. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, you know, Vo- Frank Vogel was discussing how uh, playoff Rondo was calling out defensive schemes on the uh, on in the game in game one this past the other night. So it's interesting because th- that's how the Lakers are doing well. You know, they have a coach on the yeah, court. They're banging out the defensive sets, uh, playing in transition, getting them with speed. 
You know, then you got AD and Bron banging in the low post, controlling the boards. But Rondo's, you know, he's a, he's a basketball savant, just been calling out the defensive sets. At least that's, that's what so. Vogel was talking about in the post game. Uh, he's like, yo, night. he's doing half my job over here. <laughs> Works really well. I, I'll take it. Well, he's a legend in NBA circles for his film watching and so forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Total uh, film rat. But, um, it, you know, that is, it's a pretty great assemblage of people, and LeBron finally got a number two that uh, doesn't overlap as much as when he was playing with uh, guards as his Robin, you know? I, I mean, yeah, they're very complimentary together especially when they can both bang in the low post. And that's what, it's the size mixed with the quick. Like, it's those two size, but also on the wing, the speed that there is. It's really suffocating teams. Oh, for sure. And, like, so, you know, we were talking, I think, a couple of days ago, like, if he's playing, if AD's playing the Joker, he's got a much quicker everything. First step, you name it. So, like, he's a liability to, uh, to that defense. He's going to be able to score. Oh, without a doubt. But also, don't sleep on JaVel McGee, and you know Dwight Howard has really had a renaissance this year as well. <laughs> yeah, we cannot forget about JaVel McGee. My God, role playing when he needs to. Um, what do you think about the other series? Like, um, how does that look? And uh, were you expecting that at all out of the Heat, or maybe you were after the last couple of rounds? Well, the Spolstra is a is an excellent coach. She's actually. After Pop, I want to say he's the longest tenured coach in the league. Um, wow, she, that's sneaky long for him. For real. Well, I mean, Pop has, I don't know how many years, 22 or so. It's probably a big gap between one and two. Exactly yeah. right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, so, but where Miami messed up, at least this is one of the things I wanted to discuss with you, is Boston seems to have a hard time when Miami runs zone defense. But last night mm-hmm. they were running a more man and mm. Boston seems to be able to play better when they're running the man. Okay. Also, Jalen Brown had his best night of the playoffs last night. But it's, you know, the Jalen Brown um, combo there with uh, oh, what's Tatum. The young, T- J- yeah, Tatum. Yeah. He's really doing well. And fortunately, you know, the talk of Twitter last night <laughs> was old boy's mustache. <laughs> oh, that's if funny. Anybody knows, if everybody wasn't watching, Gordon Hayward has a ridiculous mustache. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that was definitely a must win if there ever was one for the Celtics. Mm-hmm. And they were like really on point and ready to fucking do battle. So um, apparently all that yelling after game two in that second straight loss did some good and they bounced back. Yeah, Marcus Mark. He's like that. He's like Coach Perk on that team, Kendrick Perkins. That's for they, sure. They, yeah, they he's play a, fire. a similar role. Um, right, right. Ready to ready to go and ready to throw. And also, though, one of the things that will be interesting with Gordon Hayward coming back tomorrow is Kemba is awesome on the offensive side of the ball. He's also presents unique challenges off the ball because of being the sharpshooter that he is. Mm-hmm. How, however, if he's a def- he's a defensive liability, right? Whereas Gordon Hayward is a little bit better on both sides of the ball. Yep, so definitely a more well-rounded player. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays. Plus, he obviously has that history from Butler with the coach. Ah, um, very good, Brad Stevens. I mean, yeah, they have that long history, so they seem to always work out well together. It just works well for them. But it'll be interesting to maybe like. You won't be so exposed with Kemba playing less. Mm-hmm. Man, I love that Kemba's found a new home and found himself a new life. That's good for him. 
Oh, for sure. Wasting wasting a lot of time down there in North Carolina. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, he made a lot of money. It's interesting. Jordan, probably the greatest player ever, arguably. Me, terrible owner. <laughs> <laughs> Spends big and does not know how to recruit talent very well. Yeah, for sure. That's insane. Um, so what do you see going, you know, going down in both of these series? Who do you see winning? And how is it going to go? Ooh, I, I think Lakers in five. Okay. Although they are spacing the game out more, but I would say Lakers in five just because you can count on Jamal Murray just having a, a, a crazy He's got to have 50 yeah. one time during this series, right? Oh, for sure. Like, he's going to go off. And, and you know, Joker, I mean, they're both going to go off one day, but you can't win them all. However, it seems with the conference championships, are, they're putting at least a day in between them or yeah. two, which is nice, whereas they were day after day after day before. It looked so, like there was almost three between this um, Western Conference. Yeah. I couldn't um, tell. In the East, it depends. I see the next game for the East, Jimmy Butler just coming out with a chip on his shoulder and going crazy. And Man, he we'll plays like a goes. man possessed, and um, he's got that team to where they're at right now. Like, I mean, Tyler Hero or whatever, that cat was is lights <laughs> out right now. Yeah, he is. So it's pretty wild to watch him. He balls a little bit. Oh, for sure. I mean, they're, they're doing great. I mean, that, Bam, I really, Bam that is one's great. hard to tell. Bam Abayo, yeah, he's banging in a low post too. Yeah, pretty awesome. Um, I think I, I don't know. Like, obviously, you're looking for a Lakers championship, which I am totally cool with because I want LeBron to have one for with three different teams. Um, but, like, who looks like a tougher opponent in the finals for the Lakers, the eventual Western Conference champions? Well, I think the Lakers are going to – well, I guess first off, it really makes me sad as a lifelong Lakers fan. That this <laughs> to have to root for staples. LeBron? <laughs> no, no, that we're not – it's Staples for this shit. Oh, okay. All right, We should be fine. at Staples for it and for the parade down Figueroa. And L.A. is still on lockdown, so we'll get neither. And, it, and that breaks my heart. That's right. Um, Quite a spectacle down there, huh? Yeah. Well, we'll see how this... I, I, really, they're both going to be difficult. But both the Celts and the Heat will be difficult. However, there's always the history between L.A. and Boston. Yeah. Which I would particularly enjoy. For and sure. all the stories surrounding that. That would be a definitely an interesting new chapter in that history book because these are two different teams than they've ever really had before, like in their in their makeup and the way they play ball. Oh, yes. Um, I like the abundance of talent on Boston, obviously, but um, I still don't know about their star power, and I don't. I think that you kind of need it, and even though they have a lot of postseason experience, you know, which may or may not be necessary, as we're seeing. Um, I don't know. It would be interesting to see them because they do have a, a some good ma- per man size, I think, versus uh, the Heat. So that could pose a little bit of a threat. Yeah, that's true. And, and don't forget, you know, Kelly Olenek might come off the bench and do something special, <laughs> as he's done in the past. Yeah, you got to look out for that for sure. I mean, and even in, you know, you think about it, we, we Lakers are without Avery Bradley. I mean, he, he, he would have really, really still where up. they're at. 
Yeah, it is. What do you think about the uh, What do you think about the MVP voting? What's your thoughts on that? Oh, I understand why Braun is frustrated. Well, how do you believe that they should be voting? Like, what should be the criteria? Do you approve of best player or best performance? Well... Because those are the two schools of thought, really. I guess... Well, at least in my opinion... Who helps... Who's the most valuable to their team? That's what I say, right? Because if you take them out of their lineup, whose lineup is hurt the most? Who relies on them the most and has to be doing the best with it because let's say back in the day if Kevin Love was the best on the Timberwolves and he would be you know it would be hell for that team to replace him or you know have him out of the lineup just because they did that doesn't mean that he's the best player they you know they still weren't that great of a team so it's got to be that plus performance as being the one who's leaned on yes I totally agree all right Um, well, then it should be LeBron then, right? <laughs> I, yeah. I, I mean, uh, the eye test, it's LeBron. And not Although, only that, but come on. it's For me, LeBron should have three or four more MVPs than he does. Well, it, did you listen to his uh, press conference about like after the game where he talks about he's second all the time for his career if you count losing finals and so forth, as well as the four times he was second place MVP? No, I, I didn't it. hear that. But, yeah, I saw he was salty, man. He's first at the bank, so. But he I guess is. he needs to. He just needs to have faint outrage. No, I don't still. think so. I don't think so because I think he's more worried about the record books than about the checkbooks. Sure, in, I think he you is. You know, in well, the now. long run, for sure. But I mean, he sees a lot of people making a lot of money in the sport. So money and top dollar doesn't really mean very much because so many people are so overpaid in the NBA. Um. And, you know, the newest contract is always the one that's the splashiest. So, I mean, yeah, he's got money, he's got endorsements, but he wants to be the career number one player overall of all time. So, that's what he's looking at, man. I Well, I wish him the best. <laughs> well, this whole Jordan 6 for 6 shit, you know, will follow him around like a ghost. But I believe that the fact that he's doing what he's doing this late in his career kind of proves that he is a better overall athlete maybe and or player like jordan was different he was very athletic but you know lebron is just jordan on steroids essentially well it's difficult in the regard if you think of ball as an art which many people do think of basketball as an art form of course and there's so many ways to make art and there's so many ways to play basketball like I'm in the tank for Kobe Bryant. He's I know that. Favorite, I know that. Yeah. But he's not the best. He's not. You know. But who's to say what's the best? But it's you enjoy his style, maybe the best. Yeah. Like because it also coincided with the team that you loved. So like there was yeah. kind of it was kind of a no brainer. Living in and, downtown L.A. But he's certainly worthwhile. Like because he is in that conversation of the upper echelon. So it's not like you're just choosing. Oh, you know, I just gravitate towards Chauncey Billups. You know what I mean? Like, who cares? That doesn't mean. And Mr. Big that- Shot's outstanding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Oh yeah, I'm a big Robert Ory guy. That's my guy. I'm a Detlef Shrimp fan all the way. Kornheiser's um, favorite player. He all uh, Kornheiser's a Magic Johnson guy. He, he is a Magic repeatedly. Johnson guy. A lot of people are a Magic Johnson guy, and I understand that, but if you like Magic Johnson, then you should love LeBron James. 
right? Yeah. I mean, essentially, he is 2.0 Magic Johnson. Pretty much. Yeah, and, and doing it better. So, like, I think that is not even a conversation. I think it's him. It's just him and Jordan, really. And I think that you can now start to make real good cases for LeBron, especially if he um, gets this championship, because just the way that he's been able to keep himself in fighting shape and goes out there to win, maybe he doesn't have like the total asshole killer instinct because he's more of a distributor than Jordan. I think he still fucking comes to play every time they roll out the balls. So uh, you got to start to hand it to him, and if he gets this chip, man, it's gonna be right up there with him and MJ. Yes. And the Lakers will be able to hoist up the 17th into the rafters of Staples Center. And they will have some kind of digital thing or maybe a drive-in at Dodger Stadium or who knows what for a celebration. Yeah, for sure. Another bullshit 2020 celebration. (laughs) Another kick in the nuts. I can watch the parade on Zoom. (laughs) Yeah, for real, dude. Flick to the balls. <laughs> oh, man. We are definitely used to it by now and kind of expect it <laughs> at this point. Uh, December 31st cannot come quick enough. For real. All right, Holmes. Well, thank you very much for being on the pod, and it's good to talk to you. Certainly. My pleasure. All right. Thanks for listening to another episode of Born to be Mild. We will see you all again next week.